Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with the scripture reading and a message. We would love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. If you are here in Berkeley, Epworth's worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 1953 Hopkins on the corner of Napa and Hopkins. Or if you connect with our podcast from further away, we would invite you to visit our website, epworthberkeley.org. We'd invite you to keep seeking to grow in faith and to stop by the next time you're in Berkeley. My name is Jordan Geralds, and I'll be reading, reading the scripture for today. Matthew 3, 1 to 12, John prepares the way for Jesus. When it was the right time, John the baptizer began telling people a message from God. This was out in the desert area of Judea. John said, change your hearts and lives, because God's kingdom is now very near. John is the one Isaiah the prophet was talking about when he said, there is someone shouting in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make the road straight for him. John's clothes were made from camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locust and wild honey. People came to John from Jerusalem and the rest of Judea and from all the areas along the Jordan River. They confessed the bad things they had done, and John baptized them in the Jordan. Many Pharisees and Sadducees came to where John was baptizing people. When John saw them, he said, You are all snakes. Who warned you to run from God's judgment that is coming? Change your hearts and show by the way that you live that you have changed. I know what you are thinking. You want to say, but Abraham is our father. That means nothing. I tell you, God can make children for Abraham from these rocks. The ax is now ready to cut down the trees. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water to show that you have changed your hearts and lives. But there is someone becoming later who is able to do more than I can. I am not good enough to be the slave who takes off his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and, and, and with fire. He will come ready to clean the grain. He will, sep he will separate the good grain from the straw, and you will put the good part into his barn. Then he will burn the useless part with a fire that cannot be stopped. Amen. Well, Thanksgiving was late this year. Oh, my gosh. The latest possible date it could have been. And here we are. It's the second week of Advent. So does it feel like we've had a, a, a very steep on-ramp to you? It does to me and I think to the rest of the staff. <laughs> um, but my Thanksgiving this year, I'm sort of still there and I wanna share with you a little bit about it. It was conducted almost entirely in Spanish. So my family often has Thanksgiving with a dear friend of mine who married a man from Chile. And their children, their three boys, have all been educated in the Spanish immersion style, so they are all fluent. And his brother is also Chilean, of course, and he married a woman from Mexico in September, and they were both present. I had the honor of doing their wedding in September. And my wife, Elizabeth, is also fluent in Spanish, and my children have had several years of Spanish education. So. All of, these, all of these people also speak English, however. So the, the, the driving reason for us to uh, really have most of our conversation on Thanksgiving in Spanish was for the benefit of a new friend of ours who is from Guatemala. She arrived in the US about six months ago 
and is seeking asylum. Spanish is actually her fourth language. Her other languages are indigenous languages of the Mayan peoples of the Guatemalan highlands of Quiche. And shockingly, perhaps for longtime residents of the US, this region where she is from has been termed ungovernable by the Guatemalan state authorities. Like others who have sought asylum in the US, even in our current hostile climate for migrants here, she was fleeing extreme violence and poverty in her home, violence that killed her husband and severely affected her five children. Her youngest son and she were separated when coming to the US. And while trying to find work, he was picked up by ICE, put in a juvenile facility, and then given the untenable choice between going into detention, which as we know is essentially incarceration, or self-deporting. He chose to self-deport before he and his mother had reconnected. And so now they are separated by miles and at least one very large wall. I wondered how our tranquil holiday meal and the abundance of food and my friend's relatively large house seemed to her in light of the distance that she had traveled and what she has endured. As conversation continued around our Thanksgiving table, she shared that she and her family were farmers. My friend's husband, who also works in agriculture, asked, what do you sow? We sow corn, beans, and other vegetables, she said. What do you sow? Here, when talking about gardening or farming, we typically talk about what we're growing rather than what we're sowing. But to say, what do you sow, is to focus in on the seed and the simple yet faithful act of putting it in the ground. To speak of sowing rather than growing is to acknowledge that it actually isn't the individual who is bringing about the growing. It is the action of God and God's created world to bring rain and sun and sustenance out of a seed that produces growth and eventually fruit. When we think of someone saying, I grow this or that in, in this light, it sounds like it has an air of hubris to it. But to say, what do you sow, is to put emphasis on the real role of humanity in bringing forth life, which is to act with intention, with hope, and with faith. Our scripture for today opens with the wild man, John the Baptist. He's a single and solitary man without relationships that we know of. The way he's described as eating locusts from the field and wearing a camel's hair robe with its likely strong scent, we, we can imagine that he kept company with few. But he's, he's driven by this message he has to share with people. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he says. Now the message repent wasn't a new message 
Long before John, many prophets and even King Solomon had called for the people of Israel to repent. So just a call to repent doesn't seem like it would be much of a driving force for a prophet. Rather than the call to repent, the distinctiveness of John's proclamation resides in the reason for repenting. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Of course, John was talking about Jesus and his impending arrival and the beginning of his public ministry. He wasn't saying, Jesus is here, you can relax now, everything's going to be fine. He was saying, Jesus is on the way, and you are going to have the opportunity to be with him, which is to say you are going to have the opportunity to experience heaven on earth. But to do this, you need to repent. Now we often think of the word repent in some kind of condemning way. But really, that's not what the original word uh, meant. It meant quite literally to turn around. To turn around. And so what John is really saying is, turn around. Turn towards God. Listen for God's voice. Act intentionally and with hope and with faith. John is saying to the people, essentially, what do you sow? If you turn around, if you act with intentionality and with hope and with faith, if you walk in that way, you will have the opportunity for a oneness with spirit and joy and truth beyond your imaginings. There are, of course, several narratives of the birth of Jesus in the Gospels. And Matthew's account is particularly interested in drawing parallels with the Hebrew scriptures and the prophecies that foretell the coming of the Messiah. For instance, John's camel hair robe and leather belt is not just a symbol of his eccentricity. It was also a reference to the attire of the prophet Elijah. What Matthew is telling us is that this seed was sown long ago. And that though we may not have perceived it, the very thing for which we most deeply longed was growing beneath the surface, preparing to come to us in fullness and in love. I think about how people living at that time the time of the Hebrew scriptures must have felt about these ancient prophecies of, of a Messiah, one who would come to save and deliver, to fulfill their yearnings. It had been such a long time since those original foretellings, and they had been through so much. I imagine that those who heard the original prophecies from Isaiah and, Isaiah and Micah and Elijah and Samuel were initially filled with a deep longing for the fruition of the one who would come, a shepherd of love. But as time passed, they may have buried these feelings. They continued in faithfulness, and while they didn't completely give up on this hope of a new life and a new love, they got on with the lives that they had. 
Advent is a time of active waiting. Waiting is hard enough, but active waiting is even harder. To be actively waiting is to not forget about the seed that has been sown or the promise of new life that has been made and to actively continue to turn towards that hope. Of course, one strategy for waiting is to just forget about whatever it is you're waiting on so that the minutes and the hours and the days endured aren't so excruciating. But that's not the kind of waiting that we're asked to do in Advent. Though we cannot see it, God is at work, knitting together a beautiful birth of life and love beyond our imaginings. Our part is to bring our attention and intention to what God is doing with hope and faith, even when we cannot see it. My parents are two of the most compatible people you could ever encounter. They love to go places together. They share most of their friends. And it is a very sweet sight to see them in the morning, spooning in bed, not ready to get out of of that warm coziness, enjoying their retirement. They are two of the best grandparents for my children that anyone could ask for, and they know they will spend the rest of their lives together. But there was a time about 40 years ago when both of them had pretty much decided that that kind of love was not going to be part of their stories. They both had divorced. They had first spouses uh, and marriages that had ended. And they had dated a few people, but there were always issues. And nothing had turned into a permanent and and truly life-giving relationship. So they had their lives. My father was a pastor. My stepmom worked for the airline TWA. They had friends. They were involved with church. And we know how consuming being involved with church can be. And so it was okay. They weren't unhappy. But then they were introduced to each other by uh, a a mutual friend of of theirs, a a guy named Tex Sample, who was a professor at the seminary in Kansas City. They had their first date, but my dad almost didn't proceed. So Tex said to him, well, how did it go? And my dad said, well, I like her a lot, but she lives on the other side of the city. It's just too far for me to, to go to get, and get into a relationship with someone who, who lives on the other side of the city, the city. And Tex reportedly just looked at him and said, man, you're making a big mistake. You're never going to find a woman like this for the rest of your life. And we're really only talking about 10 miles. <laughs> he said, man, you could hitchhike that far. <laughs> and so they took the leap. And the song, The Rose, sung by Bette Midler, was popular on the radio at that time. And as their relationship blossomed, that song became their song. It's a song for those of us who are just about to give up on love, thinking it's not for us, or we missed our chance, or something that is broken will never be healed. But really, we all long for love, 
whether it's the love between partners or between dear friends or siblings or between parents and children. The song reminds us that God has not forgotten us. And though we may not be able to see it, God is bringing forth love in miraculous ways. Emmanuel is coming. And so we wait, but not passively. We sow a seed with intention and persevere with hope and faith. Love, the rose, is on the way. Amen. Some say love, it is a river that drowns the tender reed. Some say love, it is a razor that leaves your soul to bleed. Some say love, it is a hunger, an endless aching need. I say love, it is a flower, and you, it's only seed. It's the heart afraid of breaking that never learns to dance. It's the dream afraid of waking that never takes the chance. It's the And the soul afraid of dying that never learns to live. When the heart afraid to break me and the road has been too that with the sun's love in the spring becomes the rose.